2016. I'm your podcast host, client manager, John Niggle of InTouch Manufacturing Services. InTouch is an American-owned company headquartered in Shenzhen, China that specializes in everything from quality control product inspections to factory audits, social compliance, and sourcing. The topic of today's discussion is QC checklists and how to use them. And joining me to talk about that is fellow client manager Stacy Bruce from Adelaide, Australia. So welcome, Stacy. How are you? Thanks, John. I'm great. Excellent. And this podcast is based off a blog article that Stacey had written back in April. So let's begin by sort of setting the stage and telling listeners out there exactly what is a quality control checklist and how is that used for inspection. One of the first things you're going to do when you start working with a factory is create a quality control checklist, which is a document outlining your specifications, your requirements for the quality of your product. Okay, great. And for some people out there that might have heard the term inspection criteria sheet or ICS thrown around on occasion, quality control checklists and ICSs are generally the same thing. So why is it important to create a QC checklist? You start out by saying that that's one of the first steps that an importer should take when they begin working with a supplier to manufacture a product. And why is that important, the value in a QC checklist? This is a really simple yet effective way to outline your quality standards and your requirements between yourself and the manufacturer. Provides the criteria by which your products are inspected, both by the factory and yourself or a third party. And it outlines any standards that the product needs to adhere to. It can help you establish a relationship with the factory by creating an open dialogue about the requirements for the products. Okay, so basically the benefits of a QC checklist are it deals with outlining the expectations that the supplier should meet. It provides objective criteria for inspectors. It helps to address any regulatory standards relating to the product, and it helps to possibly improve the supplier's relationship with the buyer. For that last point, I think it's good to mention too that when you talk about a document like this that sort of lays down the law, so to speak, for a product, a lot of importers could be a little bit hesitant about how their suppliers could could receive that. But actually, to your point about improving the relationship, it really helps to do that because it makes things clear from the beginning of what's expected of the product. Where importers are more likely to run into problems is when they're not clear about something and later down the road when the product is ready to ship, it's found out that there's an issue with the product because a particular point about the product wasn't specified up front. So it really helps to iron out any uncertainties with the supplier up front and make sure that both the supplier, the importer, and as you mentioned, if there's a third party inspector, company working with them, it makes sure that all of them are sort of on the same page. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's right. And also in terms of improving the relationship, your manufacturer probably has a lot of experience in making your product. So they might be able to suggest things, think of things that you hadn't thought of before, and they can tell you what they're capable of and which points are going to be difficult for them. Hopefully, if you've got an open communication with them, they're able to tell you those things as well. Okay, great. So as we get into sort of the nitty gritty details of QC checklists, let's talk about what kinds of things are important to include in the checklist to make sure that, as I said, the supplier, the importer, any third party inspection people are all on the same page. What sort of points should be included in a QC checklist? So basically, no detail is too small to include. You should start off by including packaging requirements. For example, the ply of the cardboard that your products are going to be packed into. This is very important during transportation. This should also include carton markings, the information that is put onto the cartons. 
the packaging method and the barcodes that are going on there and retail packaging, lots of things. Okay, great. I would add to that list, you know, the retail packaging, if there are any Pantone codes there for the color of the packaging, barcodes you mentioned, hang tags and how they should appear on the product. These are all points to include with the packaging. What else? Then you go into details about your product requirements. So the weight and dimensions, the materials, the construction of the product itself, any colors that you're using. Perhaps you include the Pantone number for the color and any markings and labeling that will appear on there as well. Okay, great. You also mentioned on-site tests and checks. Can you give us a couple examples of those that might be included on a QC checklist? A very common one is cut and drop test to make sure that during transportation, the products won't be damaged. Another common one is a GSM check, the grams per square meter for fabric, which tests the density. And for all products, you want to include a function test to make sure it actually does what it's supposed to do. Okay. I would mention too that on-site tests and checks can include things that might require some complicated equipment. Like you mentioned the GSM check, that would require like special scale and a cutting tool to make sure you're getting a consistent amount of material that you're weighing for that. But there's also tests that could be specified by the importer that are relatively simple, don't require any particular equipment. Those things should be included as well. The next one that you mentioned too is required inspection equipment. Give us some examples of equipment that might be required. An example of this is for electronic products, quite common to do a high pot test to check the electrical currents and Sometimes the factory is not set up with that kind of equipment. And it's also something that a third-party inspector, for example, wouldn't carry around with them. Another one is calipers and defect stickers, Pantone swatch to check the colors. All right. Yeah, there's certain equipment that's required during inspection. And the next point is also relevant to that one. It's specifying who will provide equipment. And this is a point that I would say of all these is probably the most likely to be left off a QC checklist. But it's really important to specify equipment and why why is that so there's a lot of small equipment like calipers or a pantone swatch that the inspector can bring with them but the larger pieces of equipment like larger scales the high pot tester those kinds of things definitely need to be clarified that the factory is expected to provide these kinds of equipment Yeah, I think that's important. Sometimes an importer might expect that the inspector will bring equipment to the factory when in fact that's really not standard practice. Maybe the equipment is really large, as you mentioned, and really cumbersome, and they have no way to really transport that to the inspection site. So it's really important that they clarify that with the supplier and with the QC company or whoever is doing the inspection so that that equipment is going to be available when they need it. The last point that you mentioned is defect classification. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, this is a really big one, especially when you're using a third-party QC company. It's important to specify the severity of each type of defect and to be able to predict what the common defects will be with your product. And this is also something where you can get the factory's input on. Examples of this are scratches. Perhaps you can accept a scratch that is less than two millimeters long, but anything larger than that is a major defect. Another example is any contaminants in molded products. Again, you can specify the size that you will deem acceptable and the size that you deem a minor defect, a major defect. 
So basically what you're saying is that the importer or the customer buying the product needs to provide that feedback on what types of defects they can accept and in what numbers as well, which sort of has to do with AQL. But if there's a superficial defect on a product that won't affect the functionality or the safety of the person using the item, like scratches that you mentioned, for a lower end product or one that's maybe a promotional item, for example, they might be able to accept that as a minor defect, but it sells for a higher retail price or for whatever reason, if that importer has a lower tolerance for those types of aesthetic defects, they might specify that should be treated as a major defect. And that's really important for the reporting because it can affect the inspection result. An inspection that might have been a pass is now potentially a fail. And an importer looking at that report and reviewing it might make a decision to not ship those goods. Is that pretty much a good summation of that point? Yeah, definitely. And what I would also add to this is to make sure that the consequences of certain numbers of defects are clear to the factory so that they know when you require rework for these defects and when when they are acceptable. Yeah, I would agree with that point as well. So we've talked a lot about what is a QC checklist? Why is it important? What types of things to include? And we've stressed upon a lot of these things. What's the conclusion for the importer? If you could leave them with one piece of advice or one message here regarding QC checklists, what would that be? Creating a QC checklist is the number one thing that you should do when starting work with a supplier or even introducing a new product. It's basically an outline of everything that they need to know about your product and about maintaining the quality that you expect. So clarity is very important and having all of that information down in the one place helps to prevent any issues that might arise. Yeah, I would agree with that. Absolutely. And I think you hit the nail right on the head, so to speak, when you said that no detail is too small to be left out of the QC checklist. And I can think back to my own personal experience. I was working with a watch importer and they wanted to make sure that there was a certain movement in the watch, a certain component that was from Switzerland, a Swiss movement. And they really needed to specify in the QC checklist that it was this type of movement and how to verify that for the purposes of inspection. And and without that, they might have gotten locally sourced movements that might have been substandard or not the same quality level that they were expecting. So it's really the responsibility of the importer to work with the supplier, work with any QC staff to make sure that everything that they expect to find with the product and require with the product is in there in the QC checklist, because if it's not, it won't be reflected in the product. So I want to thank my guest, Stacy Bruce, for joining me today to talk about QC checklists. So thank you, Stacy. No problem. Thanks, John. And I want to thank our listeners for tuning in today's broadcast and remind you guys to check us out on our social media channels for some daily tips, news, and advice there. That's LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter primarily. You can also check us out on our YouTube channel for some on-site inspection videos and some interviews with industry experts. And lastly, if you'd like to get in contact with us directly, you can drop us a line on our company website. That is www.intouchquality.com. Thank you.